shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. Our text that was read earlier came from 2 Kings, the second chapter, and the reading commenced from the first through the twelfth verse. But for a thematic focus, allow me to just lift up verses 11 through 12, which reads, And as they were walking along and talking, behold, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, and they separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven, and Elisha was watching it, and he was crying out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen, and he did not see Elijah again. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. As the prophet Elijah and his successor Elisha set out on their final journey together, Elijah makes three attempts to persuade Elisha to leave him. He made the first call at Gilgal, the second at Bethel, and the third attempt at Jericho. In all three attempts, Elisha refused to abandon Elijah, each time swearing an oath to that effect, and eventually went all the way with Elijah to the Jordan. It is believed by many theologians that the story is a classic case of a leader passing on the baton to a successor or passing on of knowledge and power from one generation to the other. And while I do not disagree, certainly, that there is an element of succession in this story, I do believe that nestled in the framework of this narrative is something much more poignant that God wants us to learn whenever it is time for a transition. So with this idea of a transition in mind, and especially in the context of black history, which we celebrate in this month of February, I would like to preach a message which I have titled, quite simply, Stand. Stand. Let us pray. Most gracious heavenly and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have now come to the preaching hour. We are grateful, O oh God, that you have allowed us this opportunity to proclaim your word throughout all the word. Now, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit's power. So, Father, I invite your Holy Spirit to now incarnate yourself in my flesh, that now, Lord, I may preach your word with power and with authority. Spirit of the living God, breathe on the preacher and breathe on this message and make it live. This I pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. The process or period of changing from one state or condition to another is what we call a transition. It is a moment when things as we once knew and understood them to be would cross a threshold and become something that we may have never seen before. It is the point where things will never be the same again. Throughout our lives, we've had to deal with different times 
of transition. We've had to deal with transition when we move from adolescence into adulthood and even maturing into our geriatric years. We experience and to deal with the transition when we graduate from one grade level to another or when we change employment, whether it's provoked or unprovoked. We have had to deal with transition when we are promoted in rank or responsibility or even when we enter into new relationships. And more often than we would like to admit, we've had to deal with transition whenever a loved one passes away. So we're always making transitions and always being called upon to adjust what might become a new normal. And sometimes our responses to transitions are problematic. Let me give you an example. We see problematic responses, for example, when domestic terrorism perpetrated by racist white people against black people after transitions caused by the Emancipation Proclamation, the Reconstruction, and desegregation. We even see blatant refusal to wear masks and take adequate safety precautions in dealing with the transition set on by the COVID-19 pandemic. And lest we forget, we even see a violent insurrection at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. on January 6th in order to obstruct the transition of political power from one president to another. So in looking at just these three examples, we see that dealing with transitions can often lead to deadly and disastrous outcomes. And since life is all about transitions, we need to be prepared to look not only at our responses, but also on the responses of other people. Now, generally speaking, there are essentially three ways that we can respond to transitions. We can stand back, we can stand by, or we can stand still. Now there's a pun here that I'm using as a reflection on the ridiculous response of the former president during one of the debates that he had where he was asked to denounce white supremacy, but I will submit to you that there's a message for each of us in each of these responses. We need to stand back, stand by, and stand still. In our text, the time had come for the peaceful transfer of spiritual power and the passing of the mantle of authority from Elijah to Elisha prior to the preparation of the elaborate inauguration ceremony. Look with me at verse 1. It says, Now it came about when the Lord was about to bring Elijah up by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah left Gilgal with Elisha. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Now Gilgal, if you may recall, is a place where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River prior to occupying the promised land. It is the place where God told Joshua to let the priests stand in the middle of the river and the waters dried up and Israel crossed over on dry land. You remember Gilgal? It is the place where Joshua had 12 men from the 12 tribes erect 12 stones as a memorial so that when the children ask what mean these stones, they will be reminded of how the Lord brought them over the Jordan on dry ground. This is Gilgal. It is here that Elijah says to Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. This brings me to the first response to a transition, which is to stand back. 
Whenever we are approaching any major transition in our lives, it is critically important to take time to be still and to reflect on the journey from whence we have come. This is what I mean by saying stand back. It is a play on those two words where stand means to stop and back means to reflect or look back on the historical significance of our life's journey. History, simply put, is a study of the past. And while we as people do live in the present, our major preoccupation is about the future. To stand back and look at our history helps us to understand ourselves and the people or places around us. It helps us to understand change and how current situations came to be. And it helps us to prepare for what is to come. Simply put, the best way to anticipate future behavior is to look at our past behavior. This is especially true when it comes to the things of God. Case in point, in August of 1619, a journal entry recorded that 20 and odd, meaning 20 or so, Angolans were kidnapped by the Portuguese and they arrived in the British colony of Virginia and were then bought by English colonists. The date and the story of these enslaved Africans have become symbolic of slavery's root in this region, which we now know to be the United States. The fate of enslaved people in the United States would end up dividing the nation during a civil war. And after the war, the racist legacy of slavery would persist, spurring movements of resistance, including the Underground Railroad, the Montgomery Bus Boycott, the Selma to Montgomery March, and even today, the Black Lives Matter movement. Through it all black leaders, artists, and writers have emerged to shape the character and identity of this nation. The month of February being deemed Black History Month is not just a recognition of the contributions of people of African descent, both enslaved and free, that we have made to the prosperity of this nation, but that it is an opportunity to reflect on how, despite the efforts of an oppressive, racist system and people, we still are overcoming, we are still prospering, we are still surviving, and we are still thriving. A review of black history is our opportunity to stand back and to see how God, by his might, have led us into the light, a light which, as Amanda Gorman has said, is what we are brave enough to see, but also brave enough to be as well. February, the month of February, is our Gilgal. And while the prophet says to us, stay here, please, we stand back and we reflect, but we do not stay. We can't live in the past, so we respond like Elisha and say, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So we stand back, but now we move on to Bethel. Now the text says in verse 2b to 4, it says, so they went down to Bethel, and I'm taking you on a journey. They went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel went out to Elisha and said to him, Are you aware that the Lord will take away your master over you today? And he said, Yes, I am aware. 
say nothing about it. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But again, Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So now Elijah and Elisha have arrived in Bethel. But the interesting thing here is that as they arrive in Bethel, coming out to meet them are the sons of the prophets. These are students who are being trained to be pastors and who have now approached Elisha to let him know that a transition is about to take place. It is a sense that any of these people, any of these sons of the prophets could be the next Elijah or the next bishop or even the next Pope, and they have come to give Elisha some information as if Elisha did not know. But do not miss that they correctly said to him, the Lord will take away your master from over you today. In other words, are you aware of the transition? Now, before we unpack this church, it is very important for us to first take a look at the significance of Bethel. In Genesis 28, we read that Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright, and fleeing for his life, he stopped in a wilderness to rest. That night, he wrestled with an angel, and when he awoke, he awoke with a limp, and he called the place Bethel, or house of God, because he had wrestled with God and prevailed. It was at Bethel that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. One of the most important things that we can learn when it comes to a transition is hearing what God has to say first. This is why the next response to a transition is to stand by. To stand by means to exercise patience at a time of major transitions. It is a time in our growth and maturity when we have to recognize that we do not know or understand everything that is going on around us. To stand by is to wait for godly instruction. But keep in mind, it does not mean to be passive. It means to be prepared for what is to come. So now, so now that we understand the significance of Bethel, we can unpack the students coming out to Elisha. When those students asked Elisha if he knew that his master would be taken away today, it was a test to see if Elisha had their level of discernment. Oh yes, it was a way of them testing him to see if he was good enough or as good as they were. Remember, any of them could have taken over the role of Elijah. Listen, my brothers and sisters, whenever you are at the point of a major transition, especially when it comes to spiritual power and authority, the ones who will come after you will often be your own peers. This is why it's so important for you to hear from God for yourself. When you arrive at your Bethel, whatever your Bethel might be, you will always have the option to either listen to your peers or listen to the voice of God. And if you listen to the voice of God, you will forever be changed. And like Jacob, not only will your name change, but your spiritual authority as well and you will be ready for the next step in your journey but brothers and sisters make no mistake about it it takes courage to listen 
for the voice of God, to discern the voice of God. For the truth of the matter is, if you choose to listen to the naysayers, if you choose to listen to anyone else but the voice of God, then my brothers and my sister, your journey towards your destiny will end at Bethel. Now notice how Elisha responded when they asked him if he knew that the Lord would take his master away today. I love Elisha's response. Elisha said, yes, I am aware. Say nothing about it. In other words, Elisha is letting them know that he too had discernment. But he went a step further than that. He took authority over them and gave them instruction to be quiet. This is similar to what Jesus does when demons are not authorized to speak. Be quiet. Brothers and sisters, we need to get to the place where when those voices come around that have no business with your advancement, when they are not coming from godly sources, you need the courage to be able to say, be quiet. When people are telling lies and you know it's a lie, be quiet. You don't need to give them an explanation. Why? Because you too can discern the voice of God for yourself. In other words, Elisha was letting them know, I too have discernment. Now you be quiet. When the naysayers come, when the backbiters come, and even sometimes when your own family comes, as you get ready for your transition to the next level, stand by and discern the voice of God and respond like Elisha and say, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Elisha is moving to the next level. Now last, and certainly not least, we make our way to Jericho. The text says, so they came to Jericho. <laughs> then the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Listen, no matter what level you go to, there's always going to be people trying to get at you. And he answered and said, yes, I know. Say nothing about it. And Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now the fascinating thing about Jericho is that this is the place of Israel's first great victory when they entered the promised land. It was in Jericho that the people marched around the city, you remember, blew the trumpets, and the walls came tumbling down. It is the place where you have come after having gone through 40 years in a wilderness, and you finally made it over. Jericho stands as the place where you would have your biggest and your greatest testimony, but the work is not yet done. It is also at Jericho that you continue to have tremendous Opposition, case in point, after years of activism for comprehensive civil rights legislation, the Civil Rights Act was passed on July 2nd, 1964. Even though President John F. Kennedy had sent the bill to Congress in 1963, a year before, and even though they had the march on Washington, the bill had been stalled in the Congress by the racist tactics of Southern senators. But after the assassination of President Kennedy, 
In November 1963, his successor, Lyndon Johnson, gave the bill top priority. Stay with me, church. Now, after the Civil Rights Act passed, there were vicious beatings and murders of civil rights workers. So, in response, on March 7th, 1965, six Hundred activists set out on a march from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery to peacefully protest the continued violations of African Americans and their civil rights. When they reached the Edmund Pettus Bridge over the Alabama River, hundreds of deputies and state troopers attacked them with tear gas, nightsticks, and electric cattle prods. This event, which the press has dubbed Bloody Sunday was broadcast all over television and splashed across the front pages of newspapers and magazines, stunning and horrifying the American public. Bloody Sunday galvanized civil rights activists who converged on Selma to demand federal intervention and to express solidarity with the marchers. The pressure built and it built and it built up to the point where President Johnson had to say, you know what, we need to do something here. We, all Americans, must have privileges of citizenship regardless of race. And so he sent another bill to Congress, which was accepted. And this bill, which we know today to be the Voting Rights Act of 1965, was signed into law on August 6, 1965, by President Lyndon Johnson. So why did I tell you all of that? Well. Here's my point, and I want you to understand, church, that even as we celebrate black history, we have to put meaning in biblical context. Here is what this means. On July 2nd, 1964, the Civil Rights Act was passed. A wall came down in Jericho. One year later, August 6th, 1965, the Voting Rights Act was passed. Another wall came down in Jericho. But three years later, on April 4th, 1968, Dr. King was assassinated. A wall went back up in Jericho, or did it? Brothers and sisters, after more than 400 years of wilderness wanderings, black people in America would see the Jericho walls of civil rights and voting rights come tumbling down. But like the Israelites, we come to realize that the work is not yet done. There is much more land to conquer, much more hills to climb, and it's here that we contemplate in our transition that we are challenged to now stand still. To stand still means to let God be God. It is the moment when you have gone as far as you can go in your earthly strength, and now it's time to let go. For all, brothers and sisters, hear me clearly, for all of the accomplishments that we have made as people of color and of African descent, it boggles my mind that we keep living as if we need the approval of the dominant white culture for anything that we do. We have been endowed by our creator to be exactly who we are. We have already seen too many examples of how their word means absolutely nothing. And I'm saying it plain, they enact a constitution that they do not honor. They pass laws that they do not 
uphold. They take oaths that they repeatedly violate and they make promises they never keep. They took our name, they took our land, they took our women and our children, and they took our history. Yet, yet, my brothers and sisters, we keep loving them, we keep caring for them, we keep serving them, we keep forgiving them, and yes, we even keep protecting them from themselves during an insurrection. And despite all of their anger, all of their hatred, and all of their vitriol towards us, we are still able to have major accomplishments in the arts and sporting arenas. We are still able to win numerous Nobel Peace Prizes. We are still able to fly into outer space. We still never lost the bomber with the Tuskegee Airmen. We still become presidents of universities, mayors, governors, and legislators. We still sit on Supreme Courts and we still elect a black president and a black female vice president. <laughs> My point is simply this, church. Let me be clear. Despite all the attempts of the enemy of our souls to destroy us, we are still achieving, we're still accomplishing, we're still persevering, we're still advancing, we're still winning, and we are still standing. Even in times of what may seem as our greatest defeats, God continues to show himself to be God, especially when we simply stand still. These are the ways that we are to respond whenever we are on the verge of a major change or transition. Brothers and sisters, we are to stand. We are to stand back and reflect. We are to stand by and listen for the voice of God. And we are to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now I started this message by telling you how to appropriately respond to a transition. That is, the moment when things as we once knew and understood them would cross a threshold and become something that we had not seen or known before. It is the point where things will never be the same again. Well, just before the pivotal transition moment, Elijah asks his protege, Elisha, what might he do for him before they finally part? Elisha asks that he might receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So Elijah says, you have asked a hard thing. But if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. The text says, as they were walking along and talking, behold, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire. And they separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha was watching it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he did not see Elijah again. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. The transition came, but Elisha was prepared. Elisha was not distracted by being stuck in the past. He was not distracted by the naysayers. He was not distracted by the great victories that he had overcome. Nor was he distracted by the great spectacle of a fiery chariot. Elisha 
was prepared for his new normal. And because he was prepared, his request was granted. And so to those of you today who hear this message, I implore you to continue all the way to the end with the commitments you have made. Because everyone who endures to the end, what? Will reap greater privileges and blessings from God. You must understand that the race is not given for the swift. And things take time, but you must trust the process. You cannot escape Gilgal. You don't want to miss out on Bethel. And you certainly don't want to get away from your Jericho. And if you can stay the course, my brothers and my sisters, you will make it to the Jordan. Where you will see the elaborate ceremony. The elaborate inauguration ceremony as Elijah's mantle was passed from Elijah to Elisha. So too can you pass into the blessings that God has for you. But you must stand back, stand by, and stand still. Our faith, our faith does not depend on rituals or elections or impeachments, but on the living God who provides us through his grace the means to stand in times of great, great transition. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.